0: Welcome to Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. Normally you'd be hearing those words from Jessica Levinson, but today is a special occasion. This is our 100th episode of the Passing Judgment podcast. I am the show's producer and co-host, Joe Armstrong, and today we're going to talk about a few different topics, the incoming Attorney General's confirmation hearings, some long awaited news about a certain ex-president's taxes, and a couple of other Supreme Court updates. And now, I'd like to introduce my favorite law professor in the whole wide world, Jessica Levinson.
1: Well, hello, Joe Armstrong, and happy 100 episodes. I'm so proud of what we've done and proud to have done it with you. As you said, there's a lot of legal news, and in fact, I think good legal news. We're going to be talking about day one of two of the Merrick Garland hearings, again, determining whether or not he will be confirmed to be the next attorney general, and some big SCOTUS news. So should we jump right in?
0: Yes, 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 hell yes, let's do that. Now, I know, Jessica, for some people, Supreme Court news in February is like Christmas in July. So tell us some of the big news of the day. It involved a certain ex-president's long-awaited tax returns.
1: Well, after months of waiting, the Supreme Court finally rejected Trump's attempt to prevent his accounting firm from turning over more than eight years of financial documents, including his much-awaited tax returns, to the New York District Attorney's office. And specifically, there's a criminal grand jury investigation that's been going on for 18 months now. Uh, That criminal grand jury will now get the information, as we say, forthwith.
0: Forthwith, love that ease. So what does this mean, Jessica? Once upon a time when he was just flirting with jumping into politics, Donald Trump said the following about releasing his tax returns. Quote, if I decide to run for office, I'll produce my tax returns. Absolutely. And then he went on to say, I would love to do that. You can just hear it in his voice. Since then, he won an election, served for four years, lost the subsequent election and is now a private citizen. And he has yet to release those tax returns. So Jessica, the big question on my mind is, are we going to get to see his taxes now?
1: Maybe not. So criminal grand juries operate in secret, and we're probably not going to know anything unless the prosecutors come forward with charges. Now, we do know a little bit about President Trump's financial background because the New York Times had that great series of articles where they went into President Trump's financial information, they got a trove of documents, and Uh, they showed a number of different things. One is that there was, let's say, creative accounting on the part of the president and the Trump organization, unclear as to how much of that creativity was actually criminal. And two, that the president is likely on the hook for uh, hundreds of millions of dollars almost in loans. So we do have a little bit of a peek into President Trump's finances and the Trump organization finances. But it's not from President Trump or his accounting firm or um, from this criminal grand jury investigation where, again, I just spent a long time telling you basically we don't know.
0: Okay, Jessica. So why, now that he is a private citizen, why is this still of concern that we haven't seen Donald Trump's taxes? He's no longer president. What matters here?
1: Well, it's important because we need to know if any person, even an ex-president, violated the law. And we don't want to see his taxes just because he was running for office at this point. We want to see his taxes or know about his financial dealings because, again, A violation of the law matters, whether he's a current president or a former president, and it could give us some insight potentially into why he made certain decisions. Was he trying to curry favor with people who he had business dealings with? I think some of that, frankly, was already out in the open, but... You know, it's important to think about why this probe began in the first place. The reports were that the New York district attorney was looking into potential hush money payments that were made at the behest of President Trump before he was president to women who allegedly had affairs with him. Um, And then it broadened out and the probe started looking at Uh, potential financial crimes like tax fraud, banking fraud, and in part that was based on the testimony of President Trump's former personal attorney, Michael Cohen, where he said some version of, you know what we would do sometimes? We would inflate the value of a property when we were trying to get a loan, and then we deflate the value of property uh, in order to try and get tax benefits. So I have a feeling the New York District Attorney is looking into all of that and potentially even other financial crimes.
0: So will we see Trump's taxes? The magic eight ball says, impossible to tell at this time. That's all pretty big. But Jessica, I think there was some other news from the Supreme Court world today. Can you tell me about that as well?
1: A lot of other news. And I promise everybody I will not go into excruciating detail about all of it, even though I really am itching to. But What we know is that today may be the day that the 2020 election finally ended or finally died, at least in the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court rejected a bunch of election litigation appeals. And the biggest one, I think, is that they decided not to take up a case from Pennsylvania. And we talked about this case a little bit in the past. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court decided to extend the deadline for vote-by-mail ballots by three days. And Republicans sued and said, it can only be the legislature or election administration officials that can make a change like that. I actually think that that was an open legal question. And now we won't get a definitive answer to that. But of course, we do have a definitive answer to the thing that frankly, I think matters a lot more, which is that, of course, President Biden won the election, and there was no big Supreme Court litigation. We did not relive a Bush versus Gore moment. And now I'm thinking back over to our 100 episodes. I'm thinking back to our, I think we did three election nightmare episodes. It's the potential nightmare started to build. And Look, the really surprising thing is very few of those came to pass, and I'm grateful for that.
0: Right. So the magic eight ball in this case says we will not have a definitive legal answer. So it's impossible to get that in that funny little triangle thing that bounces around inside that magic (laughs) eight ball. So, Jessica, did I also read that the court is taking up an abortion case?
1: It is, but I don't actually know if they're ever going to rule on it. So the court did decide to hear an abortion case today. Uh, Typically they would schedule this case to be held, to have oral arguments in the fall. And the case involves a program that helps poor women pay for birth control and healthcare screenings and healthcare treatment. And the program prohibits federal grants from being used, this is a quote, in programs where abortion is a method of family planning. Now, the Trump administration created a so-called gag rule that clinics receiving money under the program could not refer patients for abortions at other facilities. Medical associations sued, and they said, look, this rule violates medical ethics. Now, the case worked its way up to the Supreme Court, and the reason I think we might never hold oral arguments in this case is that the Biden administration is really likely to reverse this rule. And people might say, well, why doesn't the Biden administration just reverse the rule now? Well, they still have to go through a rulemaking process. They have to give notice. They have to have hearings. And so it's going to be a little bit of a race to determine what happens first, um, a Supreme Court decision or a Biden administration rollback. Now, if the Supreme Court does rule first, but the Biden administration still rolls back the program, that ruling could be helpful potentially for a future Republican president. So even though the Biden administration is likely to pull back on this rule during the Biden administration, Supreme Court ruling could still have consequences for future administrations.
0: It's not as if the Biden administration doesn't have enough things on their plate already. We've had a grim milestone just early this week, Jessica. 500,000 American deaths from COVID. So they've got a lot on their plate. So, Jessica, next, it's Merrick Garland time. Remember that guy? Barack Obama nominated Garland for the vacancy on the Supreme Court left by the death of conservative Associate Justice Antonin Scalia in February of 2016. Now, both Obama Obama and Garland got stonewalled by Mitch McConnell, and the seat was eventually filled by Neil Gorsuch after Donald Trump's inauguration. Now, fast forward to the new Biden administration, and Merrick Garland is President Biden's nominee for attorney general. What was your main takeaway from today's confirmation hearing in the Senate, Jessica?
1: Well, my main takeaway was what a difference in tone. And one of my big takeaways is the fact that there were a lot of questions and answers about something you wouldn't typically talk about and you would take for granted. And that's that Merrick Garland would respect the rule of law, that he would respect the independence of the Department of Justice, that he would try and turn down the volume on the political rhetoric and the partisan rancor. And Again, what we have to talk about, typically, we would just assume the Department of Justice would be independent of the president. Typically, we would assume, of course, the attorney general cares most about the rule of law. And Merrick Garland said something that I think is so important. He said, we don't just have to do justice, but we have to appear to be doing justice, and the American public has to accept that. So he's understanding that he's speaking to an American public who's, I think, really weary of what's gonna happen next in the Department of Justice. He's speaking to members in the Department of Justice, his future employees, who have really all-time low morale, the rank and file, the career prosecutors, and he's speaking to the senators. I mean, he's saying to a whole bunch of different constituents, look, we have to not only do our jobs, but we have to show all of you that we're doing our jobs. And that's a really important message for us to hear now. I mean, and just on a personal level, the one moment where he got emotional, I also thought was very telling. He was, you know, very uh, professional the entire day, and then there was one moment where Senator Cory Booker said, basically, "Why do you want to do this?" And he said, "This country protected my family when they fled anti-Semitism." And I think that this is my best way to try and say thank you. I have to give back to this country, and this is my skill set, and I want to use it for public service. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but um, look, I think that says a lot about a person. So a, a real change in tone and a real insight into what his top priorities will be in terms of how to change that tone.
0: Oh, Jessica, that turning down of temperature and turning down of uh, the rhetoric sounds like a wonderful, wonderful approach to me. So especially after Trump's pair of attorneys, General Jeff Sessions and Bill Barr. So what about Merrick Garland's positions on specific policies? What went on there?
1: Well, we heard a couple of important things. One, he's talking about restoring a death penalty moratorium. Uh, He spoke about wanting to promote the protection of the right to vote, potentially working with Congress on promoting voting rights. Uh, He talked about working on implicit bias and systemic racism in the criminal justice system. He said the family separation program was shameful. Uh, he talked about the fact that he thinks the attorney general should sign off before there are subpoenas to journalists. As a side note, this is going to open up a big question as to who is considered a journalist, particularly in the internet age. Um, he talked about worrying that the death penalty falls disproportionately on racial minorities. And he talked about uh, use of excessive force when it comes to police officers and maybe you know exploring the idea that the standard shouldn't be uh, intent when it comes to a police officer, but that it should just be knowledge, uh, which would make it easier to prosecute claims of excessive force against police officers. So we heard, um, frankly, I think a fairly uh, center-left uh, policy um, goals that that an Attorney General Merrick Garland would have. And again, he would not be a political actor in the typical sense Uh, He would be somebody who is, as he said, uh, serving as America's lawyer, not the president's lawyer. And again, a distinction that we all used to understand, but he thought was worth emphasizing.
0: It's a new day, Jessica. Now, one of the first things that Merrick Garland will have to approach is jumping into the legal hornet's nest of the Capitol riot from January the 6th. What has he said about that and how we would handle it? Well, he
1: called the attack in the Capitol the most heinous attack on the Democratic process that he had seen. And so he's certainly not pulling any punches when he's describing what happened on January 6, 2021. Um, he said that this would be his top priority, that he'll meet with prosecutors and provide them all of the resources necessary, and that he's going to urge investigators to do a broad investigation and look at how this attack began and try and figure out ways to thwart any future attacks. So if Merrick Garland comes forward with a lot of charges, it could look like he's just a Democrat going after Republicans or Republican sympathizers. Um, If there are few charges, it could look like he basically just caved and he feared looking too partisan and didn't do a thorough investigation. So Either way, he's going to make some enemies, and I suspect, based on his comments, that he's going to give a lot of resources and support to the people who are doing the investigation, to the people who would be prosecuting, and really just try and do what judges do, which is look at the facts, look at the law, and try and make an appropriate decision in all cases.
0: So there is a minefield of political landmines awaiting Merrick Garland and also, Jessica, an existing investigation into the Russia investigation itself. Before he left, Attorney General Bill Barr appointed John Durham to look into the origin of that Russian investigation. What did Garland say about that?
1: Well, he said, I have no reason to question the status of Durham. I have no reason to question the status of the special prosecutor, who is, again, investigating the investigation. A lot of people, I will say, who are critics of President Trump or who supported the investigation to begin with, think that this, again, investigation into the beginning of looking at whether or not there was a conspiracy between the Trump campaign and the Russian government is really much ado about Attorney General Barr um, just trying to give President Trump some cover and trying to give President Trump specifically cover for his claims that the Russia investigation was a witch hunt. But it looks to me, based on Merrick Garland's comments, uh, that he's going to let Durham finish his duties uh, and finish the investigation. So, there's our 100th episode. Joe, any parting thoughts?
0: You know, Jessica, more than anything, I think I'm looking forward to our next 100 episodes. I value you as a friend and as a human being and as a legal intellect. And I am ever so happy that uh, you reached out to me that June evening. It was a Friday afternoon, as I recall, last June. Because talking to you about these things and making this Passing Judgment podcast, all these 100 episodes, has been one of the things that has kept me sane here in the pressure cooker that is the pandemic in America. Here, stuck on Moonbase Armstrong. So I've got something to work on and something to strive for and something cool to make. So thank you for that, Jessica.
1: June 5th. 2020, I believe. And I'm so glad that I made that call. There would be no passing judgment without you. Thank you so much to the listeners. We are incredibly grateful for the time that you give us because we know that that is your scarcest resource. And we will see you next time.